Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Oh, Shabbat Shalom. Um, we are going to be doing this podcast for Parsha Vayeshev, and we hope that you all had a lovely Thanksgiving. And uh, yeah, sorry not to see you in person, but glad that we are able to still send you the class and hope that you will enjoy it. And I'll turn things over to Rabbi Shabiro. So usually when I talk about Vayeshev, I wound, I wind up singing some kind of uh, musical interlude out of the Joseph story. Um, I'm sure Rabbi Schatz is disappointed that that's not currently happening. And, and the part of the Parsha that we're going to be talking about definitely is not featured uh, in any long-running uh, Broadway musical that I know of. What about you, Rabbi Schatz? Have you ever heard of this in any Broadway musical? Part of what? The part of the Parsha that we're talking about today? Oh, no, no. Although may, maybe at some point, maybe it'll be like, I don't know, like how they eventually made Wicked off of Wizard of Oz. Maybe like they'll be sort of like a, you know, a, I don't know. My, we saw part of Wicked on the Macy's Parade today, which is why I was thinking about it. Did you watch any of the Macy's Parade? You said you were going to. You didn't. I wanted to see the performances, but then I was doing other things. You were roasting vegetables. That was some of the things I was doing, yes. And, and finding a baster. No, I had a baster. But you would find it. Okay, baster notwithstanding. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, part of the story of Tamar, um, which, uh, as mentioned a moment ago, definitely has not had any catchy show tunes written about it, at least that I know of, although it's a wide world out there on the internet, uh, so I don't want to eat my words. I'll, I'll leave it to others, though, to Google uh, show tunes about Tamar and see if there's anything out there. Um I'm not going to start singing. Um, basically, we're going to be, I, I'm, I'm going to, mm, yeah, I'm not going to go through the whole narrative in too great of detail. I think that's probably okay. What do you think? I don't want to spoil anyone th- anyone's uh, Thanksgiving appetite. Um, Rabbi Schatz, do you want to go into great detail in the tomorrow narrative? No, we don't have Um Long and somewhat convoluted and very archaic uh, marriage customs short. Um, Judah gets married. Uh, she has um, sons. Um, one of the sons gets married in turn. Um, and... Basically, Tamar, Tamar is the name of the wife of his son's wife, um, and both um, of his sons, uh, two of his, th- his three sons pass away before Tamar has kids, which means that then his third son, Shela, is supposed to in turn get married to Tamar so that she will bear sons off of that lineage. But he is scared that because his sons Er and Onan have died, he is scared that Shelah will die as well. So he refuses to have Shelah marry 
Tamar. Um, in due time, Judah's uh, wife passes away as well. Um, and Judah, how am I doing so far, Rabbi Shatz? Judah, who is now single, um, goes out. Talking a lot about going out lately. Uh, Judah goes out and he happens upon this lovely young woman who has disguised herself. Um, and uh, he sleeps with her, not knowing that she is her daughter-in-law. If people did not yet know the story of tomorrow when they turned on this podcast, they are in for a very interesting holiday weekend. I am not making any of this up. It is not just a trip to fan hallucination. This is all really in the Torah. Um, and after he sleeps with Tamar, um, she asks for uh, some type of payment. And he, and she says, uh, you should leave uh, your seal and your cord. In the Hebrew, it's chotamecha uh, uftilecha. Um, chotem, like, like that which you seal that people know it's, um, if you're signing some sort of official document, people know it's yours. Um, and also, um, uh, the court is also something that's, that's basically very, very personal. That would be uniquely his. Um, and, uh, and he moves on and she keeps those things, right? He didn't pay her. So she keeps those things. Over time, Tamar become, Tamar is ready to have, uh, the child three months later when it's clear that she's pregnant. Um, Judah is told that, uh, that nothing, nothing like a good old fashioned translation. Uh, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot. In fact, she is with child by harlotry, uh, with child by harlotry. Um, a good name for a, a death metal debut album. Um, and Judah says, bring her out uh, and let her be burned. Not the most tolerant uh, stance to take. How did I do on that summary, Rabbi Shatz? Did I leave out any bits? No? I mean, I left some. Uh, you know, it was condensed. It was I, think that, I think that caught most of the highlights. Okay. And we're going to talk in a little more detail about uh, verses uh, 25 and 26. Um, he mutzait, she was brought out. Vehi sholcha et chamiha lemor. Um, and she sent, sent this message to her father-in-law, uh, asher asher elelo, to the person who, for, to the person who these things are his. Like it's intentionally vague. Anuchi hara. The person, whoever Whoever, whoever these things just so happen to belong to, I am pregnant by that person. Haker na lami hachotemet vehaptilim vehamatehaela. Whoever these things belong to, the seal and this cord and these staff. Uh, oh no! Now she's asking it as a question: Whose seal and cord and staff are these? Like she's, she's. Uh, you, you could say she's being. Either this is one of the earliest documented cases of uh, being passive aggressive uh, that we have in Western civilization, um, or she's being at least uh, somewhat protective, if not pointed, about his identity. Basically saying, whose do you think these are? Whoever these are, uh, that's who I am pregnant by, right? Vayakir Yehuda and Judah 
not surprisingly, recognizes that stuff and has uh, be great be great to uh get get a little bit of a biblical window into his inner monologue at this point i'm sure it would feature a number of words that can't be featured uncensored in daytime television uh judah recognizes them uh vayomer sadka mimeni um translated here as she is more in the right than i um and i think you could well i'll i'll leave that there for now ki alken lo netaniha Lashela Bani. Because, what was that? Natatiha. Netat, yeah, that's what I said. Did I say that? Natatiha. I thought I said Natatiha. Rabbi Shatz is probably right. Natatiha Lashela Bani. Because indeed, I did not give her, I'll, I'll use that, right, it's a direct translation. I didn't give her to Shela Bani. I didn't, I didn't follow that, that custom to marry her off to him. Lo Yasaf od Ledata. Um, and, uh, and then that's sort of a comment through, through the narrative voice. And he was not again, intimate with her, with Tamar. Okay. Lots to say about this. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say sort of the, the two primary themes that I think are, um, noteworthy to me sort of through this lens of, I think this is more of a spiritual growth than a mental health kind of afternoon, but, um, who knows where we'll eventually wind up, as is always the case. Um, the first thought, which I have through through the Tamar piece of this, is um, it's not necessarily easy to um, to hold people accountable, and certainly not to hold people accountable in a way that can be heard. Um, it's easy to either just kind of swallow your feelings and not me not be direct with someone um and it's not necessarily i don't know if it's easy but oftentimes holding people accountable can sound a lot more like an accusation at best than actually finding a way to do so in a way that um is actually saying hey you did this thing probably should take some accountability for it right she she manages and and interesting as well um, she's, she's about to get burned. So it's not necessarily the, the, the time when someone would have the most, uh, if I'll say it like this, if I was about to get lit on fire, um, I don't think my people skills would be at their best. Um, that's just me. Um, so the fact that she's able to find a way to hold Yehuda accountable here, um, in a way that he can hear, in a way that is direct, in a way that that lands and he's able to respond to, I think is is pretty uh, pretty impressive. Um, it's not always an easy thing to do. Um, and in the second verse, it's also not easy to say I was wrong or I made a mistake or this is something that I should have done differently, and to take ownership for that um, and to try to. Um, you know, uh, to, to take ownership of that. I'll just, I'll sort of leave that there. Um, and I don't think it's, um, th- th- there are a few better, better roots that carry that meaning when you see that phrase, uh, right? Translated as she is more in the right than I, than I. Um, but, you know, the root of tzedek, of, of righteousness, of justice, um, tzedakah, right? We can, we can riff on that root for a while. Um, but the, the idea that in this narrative, in terms of what's happening here, 
Um, she has acted more justly than I have. She is the one who is more righteous than I, um, even though it is a convoluted and vaguely icky story um, of the players in this narrative. She is really the one who is more, um, more justified in her actions than I am. Uh, so I think there's, I think there's plenty more I could say there. Um, but Rabbi Schatz, what do you think? Um, well, typically we would do Kushiot, but there's no one here. So I don't think we're going to do that. Um, you want me to try to bring my kids in to see if they can ask questions about the story? I don't, do you want them to know the story? I mean, eventually. Um, I would just point out that I think there's something fascinating about the Dina story having happened last week and this story happening this week. Um, and though they're quite different in what happens and how the woman is treated, um, they're not different in uh, in kind of like the woman's function. Um, Dina, thing just fell in my house. And okay. was it a roasted vegetable? Nope, I don't know what it is, but. Okay. Do you want to go check? No. Um, but I do think that that Dina's role is um, is somewhat be, because re, Dina because Dina is silenced. Um, Dina seems to be in a in a like a in a lower role, whereas Tamar actually really takes some action here and. Though yes, the word can be righteous. Like she's definitely just smarter than he is. Like she she figures out a way to really to kind of outwit him um, and to get what she wants and what she feels like is needed. And again, though the stories are very different, it's just showing the different ways in which women had to kind of assert themselves. And if they didn't, what happened? And if they did, how kind of backwards it had to be. And I just think that's really fascinating that like Tamar isn't speaking up, right? She's, she's playing a trick on someone and Dina doesn't say anything at all. So it's just, it's just interesting to me that, especially because the brothers are connected to this story as well. Um, interesting how we're not necessarily learning from um, from our own history uh, as to how to treat women or or how women should should be allowed to to voice how they want to be treated or how their roles should be um, expressed. It is interesting. I mean, you mentioned the the trickeration. I sort of skipped over the the part of the chapter where um, basically Judah, Judah tries to get his stuff back and he can't. <laughs> He can't find Tamar. It's like, uh, where's Waldo? Uh, but with um, a female character in the Bible who's being subjected, except rather than a, a skinny dude with a striped hat and, and long, long sleeve t-shirt. Similar. Um, no, not similar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of picture her hiding like various ancient Near Eastern. Yeah. Ends with lots of stuff going. That'd be fun. That'd be a, that'd be a fun kids book. But that's the other um, is that I don't know that she had to actually do that much work, right? Like to, to hide. Yeah, like women weren't thought of as being smart enough or capable enough. I don't think of even being able to 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 do what she did, and therefore she gets away with it because when you are unassuming you would never think, oh, well, of course she's hiding or... or well, he does go looking for her. I mean, in, like, 
in verses 21 and 22, he, 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 Judah sends someone to go try to find her and he can't find her. Yeah. Um, it is, it is interesting. I mean, she, she plays the part, right? But, um, she, because she wants to have kids, right? That's, that's the motivating factor in this whole story. She wants to be able to have kids. Um, and he, and Judah's not giving her that opportunity, which I think goes back to your point about, um, the role of women in these narratives. Um, it does seem from what we can tell in the narrative, that's what she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not being given those, that opportunity. And so she needs to take, I think it's, is relatively fair to call drastic measures to try to get, to try to, to try to get to that outcome. Yeah. Um, but again, like if she were just a free agent or a free woman, as we hope most women are, like she would right. have to have done that. Right. The, the only avenue that is being normatively provided for her is within the context of a marriage of like her, her first one brother-in-law and now yeah. hope, hopefully I'm putting in, in quotes, which people cannot see on the podcast, hopefully her next brother-in-law. It's like, ah, well, it didn't work out with that other guy. Right. Maybe, maybe your next brother-in-law will be a right. better it's actually, I hadn't thought about this until right this second, but it actually kind of goes back to the class that Rabbi Klingfeld and I spoke about in terms of handmaids, right? That, that these handmaids, uh, well, I shouldn't say the handmaid themselves, but the, the commander's wife was often trying to just have a baby in any which way they could, similar to like Sarah in the Bible or Rachel and Leah in the Bible. Um, and now Tamar. Yeah, yeah. But, but for them, they used other women to just get what they wanted, whereas Tamar was just like, I'll just use my own body to get, right. to get what I want. And, and I really hadn't made this connection, but it is, it is a type of subjugation. It's just that you're doing it to yourself um, as opposed to doing it to someone else. And we could have a whole class about like what the, which one's worse, right? Is it telling another person that they must do this for you? Or is it that you think so, um, maybe not lowly, but you just assume that that's what your body is for and, and that you will be able to kind of get what you want by using your body that you are then just able to, to do it that way. Um, and, and it, and in neither case is it, and Robert Clickfell and I were very intentional about this in neither case, does it seem to be the same as the way that we in the 21st century define rape, right? Like the handmaids knew what they were doing in that household um, and, and it, you know, Tamar is not raping him to get what she wants. Um, yeah. I, I, don't I mean, she is, she is taking agency here, right? I mean, I, totally. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 story where that's like him actually laying with her by force. Right. I mean, I think she, it, it's not particularly uh, of the of the narratives you've listed, even though Tamar is being kind of conscripted into the only way in which you can normatively have kids is through a certain marriage yeah. sort of hierarchy. Mm-hmm. She has, from what from what I can tell, at least by far the most agency in terms of how she handles her sexuality and her reproductive ability, right? Yeah. Like she wants to have kids she's going to find a way to have kids. It's not particularly complimentary of how men approach sexuality 
that Judah is sort of out and about. He sees someone. It's his daughter-in-law. He doesn't even notice her. He has sex with her. He doesn't notice it's his daughter-in-law. And then three months later, he's like, oh, no. That's, uh, you know, not sort of a, uh, not, not the best, uh, comment on men's awareness around getting their, uh, needs met, uh, in terms of, of how you think, oh, no, it was my daughter. Not a great moment. Um, so of the two, from my perspective, Tamar has her stuff together much more in the story than than Judah does, right? She somehow finds a way within the very restrictive circumstances yeah. she's in to still get what she wants. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, she winds up having kids. I'll make one more comment on that in a second. She's not married. Right. She's a single mom with twins. Yeah. Which I don't, I mean, I haven't done extensive reading on it, but I think is is relatively uncommon. Yeah. You know? Well, especially because a man was the only thing that gave you any kind of um, safety or any kind of, huh. of future um, in back in the think she think she had a tent like sort of kind of next to Judah's, but he didn't want to like look over there too often, you know, sort of, sort of, sort of an awkward family brunch. I mean, uh, I, without reading too much into the story, I'm sure that she ended up marrying someone who took care of her. Like, I, I think there probably was very little very very little capacity or or just because she was living amongst a clan of lots of boys um men um that they could take I mean the way Judah asks acts here is sort of like a, a college freshman on spring break so you know we can... <laughs> I guess that's true um my my sense is that she's sort of like part of Judah's camp but sort of like has her own has her own tent and and their family Thanksgiving dinners were just a slightly awkward. Yeah. Um, hey, that's 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 Grandpa. Well, sure. Um, remember that? I'm my own Grandpa. Remember that song? You never heard that song? You've never heard I've my I'm my own Grandpa. I'm my own Grandpa. I'm my own Grandpa. No. It sounds funny, I know, but it really is so. Uh, my own grandpa. You never heard that? No. Well, now you have. I bet Dale has. I bet we'll ask Dale. The one we've gotten a, a bit distracted, which is unusual for us, <laughs> particularly when no one else is here. Um, <laughs> uh, the w- one other piece, narrative piece that I want to make sure to mention is that. Um, one of the twins, we we are told that this funky union, which would be a great name for a rock band, uh, that this funky union eventually is the Davidic line um, that D- King David, um, who is from the tribe of Judah, that that his one of his ancestors is. Peretz, who is one of the, the, the two twins that are born, are uh, Peretz and Zerach. Um, that Peretz is one of David's ancestors. Um, and there's, there's plenty in our tradition about how, um, you know, heroes come from unexpected lineages. They, this is also, um, for those of you who are pining for Shavuot, and I know many of you are, um, 
Rabbi Shas just raised her hand because she loves organizing Shavuot. For those of you who are pining for Shavuot, we also hear about this um, from the Ruth story, right? That it seems to be sort of an unlikely um, union through which a redemptive line comes. But this is this is the this is the prequel. This is the Ruth story before it was cool. Um, that this is also a union um, that that is unusual in how it comes about, and yet. Um, eventually leads to no less than Hamelech David, um, El David Reno, as his friends called him. Um, and I think, you know, there there is something to that, not, not to lean on it too much, but I think both the actions of holding people accountable and owning up to your mistakes, um, you know, those, those actions are really being held up in this story, I think, is at least my sense of it. You know, I, 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 uh, as, as someone who makes numerous mistakes every single hour of the day, um, it's not, it's not always easy to say, Hey, I, I messed up. Um, and it's really important when I worked at Bechuva. Uh, Rabbi Mark would, would and Harriet would talk about how you know the five hardest words in the English language are "oops, I made a mistake," um, because it's tough. It's tough to say I I, uh, I messed up, um, and and Judah does it here, right? Which is not to say necessarily that he is the hero of the story. I think, from my perspective, at least, Tamar is is sort of takes takes her place in this role as. Um, as the primary actor, as we were talking about a second ago. Um, and in that realm as well, that Judah is able to say, oh, maybe this isn't actually about me. Maybe this is about someone else. Um, and to step aside and, and give her the space that, that she's trying to claim, I think, uh, I think yeah, is important. I, I also think that he, by not giving her her rightful husband for her to be able to have kids, he takes away her voice and her um really her her future in in the scheme of how the Torah works um and so she realizes that she's gonna have to take it all into her own hands and so not only does he say oops I made a mistake but he realizes wow if I had just said here here's my son which was what he was supposed to do None of this would have happened. She would have been perfectly happy. So it wasn't so much that she wanted to be with that son and he didn't want it to happen, but more so just that that's how things worked back in the day. And she knew that and she knew to be, I keep on wanting to say the word successful, but like in, really just have any status whatsoever in her in her lineage and in her current life. She needed to be married to somebody or at least bring children into the world and so she just figures, okay, well, going to take this matter into my own hands. So he's definitely not the hero. And she teaches him a lesson. Yeah. She teaches him a lesson that if you just do the right thing the first time around, you don't have to say, oh, I made a mistake. And then probably feel pretty badly about whatever happens to you. But rather just because we all know people who make mistakes and then just it snowballs. And so all of a sudden now you're in a much bigger, whether it's a lie or mistake or whatever it is, you're all of a sudden now so much deeper down that hole than, than you expected to be. If at the beginning you just said, Oh, actually I forgot to send that email or, Oh, sorry. No, I didn't have that conversation. 
that's a lot, it's a lot harder to say, but it's a lot easier to remedy the outcome because then you can recognize that, that the outcome that, that has made lots of problems down the line could have just been taken care of in the beginning by saying, no, sorry, I actually didn't remember to do that. Right. Yeah. And the one piece I'll add on to that is I think it, it seems to be from what, from what we can tell. Um, oh, hi, Leah. Oh, I'm oh, recording yeah. something with, with Rabbi Shots. Do you think you can go to the bathroom in another room? Else? Can you go to the bathroom in another room, please? Thanks. <laughs> Elia Shapiro. What a kid. You didn't know. Um, this is the fun of recording from home. Um, <laughs> And, and not having a ton of space. Um, it's like a it's like a throwback. It's like a throwback to uh, earlier pa- earlier pandemic days. Yeah. Um, is that uh, we 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 actually hear explicitly right um, that the reason Judah doesn't have Tamar marry off his third son is because he's afraid. He's afraid that his third son will die. Um, he says, right, that, that, that maybe this son of mine will also die. Um, and if I'm in a place of fear, I, I'm much more likely to make a mistake. Um, so I think it's, it's a piece of that as well as trying to not only acknowledge the challenge of saying, oops, I made a mistake, but catching yourself, um, if you notice you're in a place where you're feeling, scared or upset or whatever it is that makes you more likely to mess something up and saying, Oh, hold on, wait a minute. I'm feeling a certain way. What's actually the next right action to take here instead of just getting wrapped up in the circumstance. And like you were saying, and then, and then being in a position where things could, could kind of snowball, right. That mindfulness and awareness in the moment before you go, you know, kind of too far, too far down that road and and wind up having to, you know, constantly keep all those all those balls in the air yeah yeah i'm not not sure that i have anything else to add to that i agree you agree i mean i think you are agreeing with me by saying the statement but yes i agree also you agree with my agreement with you i do (laughs) who am i to argue with that um yeah good good point Um, shots do you have anything else you'd like to add beyond agreeing with me um, well, I'd be curious to know, I have a few, I have like the Ramban and Haimek Davar and Orchot, can't speak, Orchot Sadikim, which I have no idea what that is, but, um, I could look it up, I guess. Uh, but curious to see what, um, what you had and see if these things fit in it. I, I really focused most in all of my preparation, um, on what it meant that she, because a lot of the commentators say in their commentaries um, that um, I'm just looking for the Hebrew. Sorry, give me a Sadka is similar to righteous as opposed to, I kind of liked how you said justice, actually. Um, I like the idea of it being like just or accurate or correct. Um, and, um, and that, so that's that's what I focused on. Um, yes. So you like my translation better, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I actually do. I do like your trans. Well, I like the idea of using it as justice um, more so than. Set a, set a tear dof. 
as some might say. That is a phrase that also uses that word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Any thoughts? I'd love to hear anything additional you'd like to share. I was going to give you any more thoughts. Okay, fine. So Hamek Davar says that that, um, he's actually translated as, let me see if I can read the Hebrew, yoter mimeni, like more so than me. But it says, vayom Yehuda said ka mimeni, that that, uh, Judah said that she is more righteous from me. And so Hamek Davar is actually translated as she is more righteous than me, as opposed to... um, like coming from that, that he needs to be kind of the exemplar, but that she is, um, she's just more righteous. Again, I don't love the word righteous here, but maybe, um, more right or more in the right than I am more in the right. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and then he goes on to say, Hamak Devar goes on to say her intentions were pure, whereas mine were not, which goes back to, I guess what we were talking about before, which is like, she was trying to get at this, goal of hers that that she that she knew was not going to happen any other way and and that he he his reasonings for not giving her her husband were not righteous right and were not just and uh so i i appreciated that piece as well because the commentators aren't always um do not always skew towards the women in these uh in these stories so i i appreciated that he went in her direction um thoughts on that anything yeah i mean i i agree with with that translation of tzadkami many more you know the the we're we're not necessarily staying in our verses all that well or i'm not necessarily staying in our verses all that well that's a verse no, no, no. I was about, that was a lead in to me saying oh, something. Oh, oh. I was like, was that the wrong verse? That was going to be a, a transitional phrase. Oh, sorry, continue. You're doing great. Thanks. Um, you know, this is, this is mere, mere verses after, see, I'm going to something else. Mere verses after Judah's the one who sells Joseph down the right. proverbial river, right? So that this is a Parsha in which Judah is not is not doing great on the the seeing people for their humanity front um and you know if just a few verses earlier he has been the one you know he you can make the argument that he's sparing Joseph's life because they're selling him instead of killing him but selling him to slavery is still not a top 10 brotherly moment um and you know, the next chapter, accidentally sleeping with your daughter-in-law because you're not giving her the respect she deserves to have a family of her own. Also not a top 10 family member moment. Um, so Judah not exactly killing the game for much of the first part of this Parsha um, ha- has a moment where he's able to say, man, this is this is really going sideways on me. Um, and of course, then a bit later on, I will I will save my calypso for a few weeks from now um but he is the one who um intercedes on benjamin's behalf so even though he's he's a character who has made some mistakes it seems like thanks thanks to tamar right who is the one who calls him to account it does seem like there's some lasting behavioral change here which is also not a given right people make mistakes i can make a mistake say, oops, I shouldn't have done that. 
and then make the same mistake the next week, right? Making a mistake, being called out for it and saying, oops, is not necessarily, mm-hmm. ideally, but not necessarily a predictor of future changes in behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, again, that idea of sad kami many, it, it seems like it, it's indicating a shift, right? It seems like it's a, it's a real moment of insight that he's able to have, mm-hmm. that there is a, a sustained behavior, right? So from someone who back-to-back Prakim not really seeing people for people into someone who is able to say she's right later on is able to say, um, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be selling our brothers into slavery. You know, the little things learning from learning from your actions. Yeah. Which some might call chuva. Oh, and that, yes. Um, what so were you going to say? I said growth, but yes. oh, chuva. Yeah, chuva and growth. Yeah. Um, gam vagam. Indeed. So the Orchot Sadikim was originally named Sefer Hamidot. Um, it is an anonymous author, so the fact that I didn't know who wrote it means that, you know. You're, in good, you're in good company. In good company. With um, every other person who's ever heard of it. Correct. It's a book of Jewish ethical teachings, and it was written in Germany in the Middle Ages. Um, so it was, it fo- supposedly, it's a book that follows the structure of. The Improvement of the Moral Qualities by Solomon Ibn Gab- 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 Gabriel. I don't think that's how you say his name in Hebrew. Gabriel, I think is how you say it in Hebrew, but that's okay. That's We're going to go with what Safari is telling me. And adds teachings from the Rambam and others. Rabbi Shapiro is laughing at me. Um, you're more than Do you know how to say it better than I do? I'm just enjoying the random moment of better know a commentator with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. This is great. Well, because there's an actual street name in Israel, and it is pronounced differently than Safaria is pronouncing it. So I just wanted to. Okay, better know a commentator this week, sponsored by. Um. Anyway, but I'm going to share this teaching by this anonymous person, um, from the Orchot Sadikim. Give it a second to go back there. Okay. Um. So, do you want me to share this? Would you like to see it? You're also a visual learner, even though people. Um, here you go. Great. Well, maybe you will on this. Okay. And of course, if people credit him, meaning Judah, with good deeds he did not do, he should not rejoice at this, but on the contrary, feel great pain in his heart that he should have gotten credit for something he did not do. Um, also in the case where somebody told evil tales concerning him, if these are true, he should not seek to twist the truth and thus clear himself. But do as Judah, who said, she is more in the right than I am. So, what what this again this is supposed to be a bunch of moral teaching so it's not saying when i said him meaning judah I, that's not what the orchot sadikim was referring to i was just putting judah into this um into this commentary but basically the orchot sadikim is just saying if people credit a person with doing good deeds that they didn't do they shouldn't they shouldn't be glad that you that they got the credit but in fact they should be almost sad that they didn't think to do it first, right? Right? Or um, that, that someone else is getting is not getting the credit that you are then getting. Um, and then he goes on to say, and he should not try to contradict the man that told these tales, nor should he hate him because of the revealed matter, but he should know, he should bow, excuse me, humbly before the creator uh, that, that, Again, there's a lot of he's here. So that that the person has revealed a little of much that could have been revealed in order to rebuke the person and correct him that he might return to God. So 
again, this is just pushing us to imagine that more could have been done and not to take the credit where credit isn't due um, in terms of if they had done, uh, if they had not done a good thing, but should have done a good thing. And that Judah is being used here as the exemplar in terms of saying, and, and, and interesting, of course, that in term in the Middle Ages, that it's a man saying that a woman did better than he did, right? That That's a big deal here. Um, that not so much that a man would say, oh, that guy did something better than I did, which is the general way that we would understand the commentary, but all the more so if a man can say, well, she did better than I did. Um, so I just thought this was a very interesting way of kind of bringing it into the, even though this isn't a modern text, into modernity in terms of how we um, how we think of the ways in which we are given credit or do things in the world that we either deserve credit or should be uh, embarrassed that have been done and therefore and therefore obviously not get credit for them but be able to say I shouldn't have done that or um, someone else you know is is deserving of the praise and not and not me. Do you have any thoughts on this, Rabbi Shapiro? I mean, I think I think it's of a piece with a lot of the themes we've been talking about in terms of. Um, you know, so if somebody says something about him, he should not seek to twist the truth and then clear himself. And I think, you know, it's like uh, any rule doesn't come out of silence, right? And any, any, uh, anything that you're being told, don't do that. Well, it's probably because it's something that you otherwise might do, like don't drive too fast on the freeway. Well, it's probably because people want to drive faster than the speed limit, right? So here too, he should not seek to twist the truth and try to clear himself. Well, that that's because that's a very human thing to try to do. If you get caught doing something, uh, m- most of our initial impulse, something we kind of need to unlearn is say, oh no, I didn't do that. That was the whatever, you know. Um, you should just say, no, you're right. Yeah. Uh-huh. I shouldn't have done that. That's not necessarily our go-to impulse. Right. Um, and it's important to you know, I would say particularly here, you know, you're, you're mentioning the the gender piece and how unusual that is, particularly if you're in a role where you might otherwise be caught by someone who in the culture that you're in seems to be of quote unquote lesser status than you and feeling like you really got caught up in something um, instead of using your your status and your privilege to say, oh, no, no, that person is crazy. I would never do something like that, which is unfortunately a pattern we we still see happening often to say, no, this was something I did that I wasn't supposed to do and, and letting it at that and not trying to like justify it. Right. right? You know, that the word justify justice is in there too. Not trying to justify it, but just saying that's, that's actually what it is. It's not easy. Not easy. Um, okay. Well, Rabbi Shapiro, do you have any final, final thoughts? Uh, good job. Eventually Judah. Good job finding a way to make it work tomorrow. Good job, Rabbi Schatz, recording a podcast. And mediocre job, me. And tune in next week. We'll find out what dropped in Rabbi Schatz's apartment. It ended up, I figured it out. It was kids throwing things outside. It had nothing to do with my apartment. But, or house. Now, why would people listen next week? You just killed this. That was the, that was like the teaser. I was, I was building, building intrigue. We'll do do Joseph stuff next week. Um, Tune in next week to find out if something else drops in Rabbi Schatz's apartment between now and then. Um, 
Thank you all for listening. Uh, it is cliche to say, but we are very grateful for our listeners and for the fact that you come and learn with us every week. All one and a half of you. And and uh, it's our average listenership, I think. I still think. Okay. Right. Every time that Ravi Shapiro says something like this, we end up getting 75 emails from different people saying that they've listened. <laughs> that is that is a, a preposterous exaggeration. Okay, maybe not 75, but a lot of emails from people who say they enjoy listening to us. So I just want Ravi Shapiro to know that when he's going through his emails and saying, oh, I have so many emails back from Thanksgiving, I just want him to know that he asked for it. I, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Have All day, right. Emails coming in everywhere from Belgium to Belize talking about how much they love our nonsense each week. Yes. All right. From, from China to China, the, the emails will be pouring in. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.